expect me to get up and preach after that. Wow. Forty teenagers leading us in worship this weekend. Every weekend at Crossroads, it's, it's something new, it's fresh, it's different. And uh, when you miss, boy, you miss something. You always miss something. And I'm excited that next week we're going to begin a four-week series of messages called We Harmony. Now, you're familiar with E-Harmony. This is We Harmony. It's about marriage. And how many times do you have the opportunity to invest uh, four weeks in the health of your marriage? That's what we're going to do together the next four weeks, We Harmony. But today we come to the end of our four-week series called You Ask For It. And I want to thank you for your response, which has been tremendously encouraging. The questions you have asked have been addressed from Scripture. They have been applied to real life. What does God think about sex? What's the big deal about homosexuality? Why does a good God allow suffering? And this weekend, how can I be sure I am saved? Well, today, God helping me, I want to move you from being a non-Christian to a Christian. If you're here, you're not a Christian, I hope you'll be persuaded to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to try to move you from being a doubting Christian to becoming a shouting Christian. <laughs> I want to move you from being hope-so to know-so about your salvation. I want to try to move you from being an insecure disciple of Jesus to becoming a secure a disciple of Jesus. Because wouldn't it be troublesome to go through life questioning whether you were truly accepted in your earthly family, to feel like you didn't fit, always anxious about whether your father was going to be gracious toward you or judgmental toward you. Yet some Christians live every day with doubt about how their heavenly father sees them but children of the king should not think of themselves as orphans. I think it's sad for people whose sin debt has been paid in full to squirm under the uncertainty of whether or not they have truly been adopted into the family of God. Well, let's start this morning by looking at some basic reasons why people doubt that they are saved. One is sin in their lives. Because sin brings with it feelings of estrangement from God, feelings of isolation. In Psalm 32, David expressed in poetic language what it was like for him when he was living with the unconfessed sins of adultery and murder. He said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He said, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In other words, if sin is the consistent bent of your life, it's normal to doubt your salvation. Last weekend, I spoke with someone who was distraught because of his doubts about being saved. He saw the topic for this weekend, and he had some serious doubts about his salvation. So I asked him a series of questions. I said, are you, are you worshiping? privately and weekly, corporately? His answer, no. 
I said, are you in any kind of fellowship with another Christian or two, in any kind of small group of fellowship of any kind? His answer, no. I said, are you plugged in faithfully serving? Uh, are you regularly giving? His answer, no. I said, are you engaging in secret sin? Silence. And in light of his answers, I can understand why he was anxious about his salvation. But on the other hand, there are some who would answer yes to those questions I just asked. They are in daily communion with the Lord. They are worshiping regularly, weekly. They are in a small group. They are serving. They are giving. And they're not living with any unconfessed sins. They are in a right relationship with the Lord. And they have no reason to be doubtful about their salvation. It's true. Christians are not perfect, but they are forgiven. Well, another reason for doubt is not just because of sin in the life, but because of false teaching. And false teaching is typically one extreme or the other. You've got liberal pastors who do not honor the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. So they discount certain portions. They discount certain verses. And they create doubt in people about being saved. If you're in that kind of church where the Bible is not revered, where it is not considered to be the inerrant Word of God, it creates doubts. Then on the other hand, You've got not liberal pastors, but legalistic pastors. They believe the Word of God from cover to cover, but they overemphasize works. They emphasize that we're saved by doing or not doing certain things. But you see, that just reduces Christianity to one of the man-made, man-invented, works-based religions that teach you can be your own Savior, like Buddhism. You controlling your desires saves you. Confucianism, your self-cultivation, your self-reflection saves you. Hinduism, you detaching from your ego, living in harmony with the universe saves you. Islam, you living an outwardly holy life saves you. Judaism, you obeying the law saves you. New Ageism, you gaining a new perspective, connecting all things in the universe into divine oneness, whatever that is. You know, in America, most people think you being a good person is what saves you. And many people today actually think that simply dying saves you. We frequently overhear it in the media at celebrity funerals that they went to a better place. So evidently, for some, just dying is all you do to be saved. But Christianity is completely unique. We're not saved by works, but we're saved by Jesus' finished work on the cross. We're not saved by our death, but by Jesus' death and resurrection. In other words, it's not about you. It's about Him. In fact, the name Jesus means Jehovah, or God, is our 
salvation. He is our Savior. So the name Jesus is synonymous with his life mission. Now we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what about John 3.17? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So doubts about salvation can come from secret sin, unconfessed sin, or from false teaching. What else? Well, an overemphasis on emotions or an overemphasis on feelings. Now, there is deep joy in the Christian life, but merely feeling good about yourself is not what determines whether a person is lost or saved. Some people will say that. Well, I feel fine. I feel fine about my standing with, with God. I feel good about it. I feel all right about it. I'm at peace about it. Well, feelings cannot be trusted. And for a Christian, there'll be bad days, there'll be hard days for us to get through, but beneath us are the everlasting arms to uphold us, the everlasting arms to embrace us as God's people. Listen, when it comes to feelings, Satan's strategy has always focused on trying to make lost people feel saved and saved people feel lost. That's what he does. He tries to get lost people to have a false sense of security. And he tries to get saved people to have a false sense of insecurity. Satan is the accuser who whispers to us at times, Look at you. You're a failure. You're weak. You aren't a real Christian. God won't have you. But that's a lie. That is a lie from the father of lies. Well, finally, doubts about being saved can result from a failure to take God at his word. The New Testament is full of promises and assurances that are addressed to Christ's followers, that if we believe, if we repent, if we demonstrate an obedient faith, we will be saved. God has put his name on the line here. And we see that with clarity today. But maybe, maybe you did not have an earthly father that you could trust. If you didn't have an earthly father you could believe in, it might be more difficult for you to see God as gracious and trustworthy and loving. But let's push back today on the doubts about our salvation by forsaking secret sin, by resisting false teaching, by not being ruled by our feelings, and by taking God at his word. The bottom line today is I want us to get where Paul was when he wrote these words in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 4. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Okay, so what's the path to get where Paul was when he wrote those words? That's what we want to know, isn't it? Because we want to be able to say, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced. 
we're all on board here. We all want to go to heaven. We all want to be saved. We all know that we have to have our sin issue resolved. We all want to have full assurance about our salvation. And it's found in the words of the Apostle John in the New Testament. Listen, the entire epistle of 1 John is about being confident in your salvation. So if you have doubts, get under a good light with an open Bible. Read 1 John. It'll take you 15 minutes to read it. And it will infuse your life with confidence and assurance. What we're going to do is look at the words of 1 John. And we're going to start right here in chapter 5, verse 13 and verse 20, just so you can see kind of the masthead for 1 John. Here it is. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, I want to warn you this morning that there's going to be a lot of Bible in this sermon. I actually read an article this past week that said some churches are trying to cut back on biblical references in teaching because they believe that people today find the Bible to be boring. What Bible are they reading? Anyhow, there's a completely different conviction here at Crossroads. If you're a guest today, you are in a church that loves the Word of God and can't get enough of it. So, let's look at 2 Corinthians 13.5. Here's what it says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to test ourselves. We're going to examine ourselves. Here's what I want us to do. I want to move through 1 John so we can examine ourselves to see whether we are walking in the light, living the faith, whether we are saved. Now, am I saying that if you're missing any of these things that I'm going to mention in just a moment, if you're missing any of these things, then you are not saved. Of course not. It's not about perfection here. If you miss everything else, listen to this. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. So let's examine ourselves using 1 John. Being a saved person means you and I should be seeing these behaviors taking shape in our lives. First of all, you will enjoy fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That means that you are going to engage in personal worship. Private Bible reading and prayer is going to mean something to you. You're going to carve out the time to do that because you're going to enjoy fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then corporate worship, a part of that enjoyment of, of the Father and the Son comes from personal worship and it comes from corporate worship. Secondly, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, you will also have joy. We write this to make our joy complete. You will have a deep and consistent joy that shows in your life. Now, we're not talking here about mood swings. We're not talking about happiness here. That's superficial. We're talking about deep abiding joy. And that ought to show in your personality. It ought to show on your face. If you're a saved person, you will have 
joy. Thirdly, you will not walk in darkness, chapter 1, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, it's talking here about living with secrets. So how many secrets are you keeping today? How many secrets do you have in your life? It's talking about walking in darkness. Here's talking about confusion in life. You don't know what's best. You make one mistake after another. There's just this kind of inconsistency that comes off as confusion, like you're groping in the darkness. Number four, you will enjoy fellowship with other Christians. Chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And so you delight in meeting Christians through the week, and you're glad to see them. And when we come together in worship on the weekend, we delight in our fellowship with one another. We enjoy fellowship with God the Father and His Son Jesus, but we also enjoy fellowship with other Christians. Number five, you will be convicted and confess your sins. Chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us. This is talking here about humility. We don't just blow through life thoughtlessly, but... When we're convicted that we've had a wrong attitude or we've manifested wrong behavior or we've said some hurtful words, it bothers us until we make it right. So being convicted by our sin and confessing our sin. Number six, you'll keep his commandments, do his will, practice righteousness. There are a number of references here. I chose one, chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if... We obey his commands. In other words, we respect the lordship of Jesus in our lives. We don't resent it. We embrace it. We don't push back on it. Number seven, a saved person means you will love your Christian brothers and sisters. Chapter 2, verse 10, whoever loves his brother and sister lives in the light. We're talking here about genuine concern, genuine goodwill for those who share your faith. Number eight, you will not love the world or the things of the world. Chapter 2, verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, the world is going to lose its allure. If you are a saved person, particularly over time, you will find yourself less and less attracted to the bright lights and the fast crowds and the good times and the party life. It will lose its allure. It will lose its luster. It will lose its attractiveness. Number nine, a saved person will believe in the deity of Jesus as God in the flesh. Chapter 2, verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So the next time the Jehovah's Witnesses come knock on your door, the next time the Mormons come knock on your door, you need to let them know right up front that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you are not going to be shaken off of that truth. You believe in the deity of Jesus as God in the flesh, and you don't take a step back from that, and you're never embarrassed to use his name. You're only embarrassed when people want to leave his name out when it's appropriate for it to be there. Number 10, you will not habitually practice sin. Chapter 3, verse 9, no one who's born of God will continually sin. Now, it's not talking here about perfection. We will sin. Chapter 1, tells us that if we say we have no sin, we lie, 
and do not speak the truth. So we will sin. Back to the Christians aren't perfect. But the fact is we do not habitually sin, continually sin. That's what it's talking about here. You will not habitually practice sin. No one born of God will continually sin. Number 11, you will have compassion on those in need. Chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? In other words, when you are a saved person, you're going to find that your heart is getting larger with the passing years. Things you didn't used to care about at all. You care about. You see people differently. You're less judgmental. You're more benevolent. You're more inclined to be patient with people and to love people and to be compassionate toward people. Number 12, you will experience answered prayer. If you're a saved person, you're going to be able to draw some straight lines between your prayers and some things that you see happening around you in your life. Chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. We have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. You will see God's hand move in your life. Does this mean that everything you pray for, you will receive? No. Because sometimes we ask for things that we don't have any business asking for. Sometimes we ask little prayers, and God answers our big prayers. We trust his wisdom, but if you are a saved person, you will see a link between your prayer life and the things happening around you. Chapter 13, the saved person will experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We draw near to God. He draws near to us. You will experience the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There'll be times when you're going to be in situations where you know that God is with you and that He is speaking to you and He is influencing you to say something or do something. And it is that ministry of the Holy Spirit, God drawing near by His Spirit. Number 14, you will courageously witness and testify. Chapter 4, verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. See, we testify about that. We have this inner prompt to speak, and you know what that's about. As a Christian, you've been in settings where you have had that prompting to say something to someone, to invite them to your church, to build a bridge to them for the gospel. You'll be more courageous about that as a saved person. Number 15, you will eagerly await the return of Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 17, we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. We long for his appearing is the way it's stated in another passage. We eagerly wait for the return of Jesus. There may have been a time when we dreaded the thought that Christ would return and now we eagerly await his return. Well, the above should convict us all that while we may be saved, we've not arrived and we've got a long way to grow. But this is what makes the Christian life so fulfilling. It's when you see yourself becoming more and more like Jesus with the passing years. Nothing is more satisfying as you age physically than to mature spiritually. The way the Apostle Paul says it is, Though we're wasting away outwardly, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. 
And that's a satisfying thing. That's a fulfilling thing. As we bring it home today, I want to give you two concluding truths that should help you know once and for all that you're saved. If you understand these two truths, you will have confidence about your salvation. Here's the first truth. God is on your side. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved. And come to a knowledge of the truth. God's desire is for us to be saved, not for us to be self-condemned. Then 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So picture your heavenly Father running toward you with open arms, just like the father of the prodigal son, to welcome you home to welcome you back into his family. God is on your side. Secondly, God has made a way. He's made a way. He's done everything possible to see us be saved. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he gave his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins, might live for righteousness. He paid the price for our salvation. And it would be totally illogical to think. After he paid such a high price, the shedding of his blood, the giving of his life, so that we would know, so that we would know we belong to him, it would be so wrong for us to believe that he's reluctant to save us. What earthly father would provide everything his child needs only to have the child wonder, are you sure you want me to have it, Dad? Of course, that's what a responsible father wants. A responsible father would be grieved to know that his child is insecure in his love. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. But we do have a responsibility. The Bible does not teach universal salvation. That is, that all people, by virtue of their birth, are Christians or that they are saved. John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received him, there it is, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. John chapter 3, verse 36 further states, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life. So we must believe and receive him as our very own Lord and Savior. There must be a definite decision. And I want us to look together here in closing at how the question, what must I do to be saved? I want us to see how that was answered by the experience a variety of a variety of people in the book of Acts. What I'm going to share with you now is 100% Bible. I'm not going to make one comment. We're just going to move through these. What must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. The people said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts chapter 8, verse 35 and following. Philip told the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus. We don't know what he said, but after a while the Ethiopian said to Philip, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Acts chapter 9, verse 5 and following. Jesus replied to Saul, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And Ananias said, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 and following. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard his message. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Acts chapter 16, verse 14. This is talking about Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Acts chapter 16, verse 29. The jailer asked, Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. At that hour of the night, immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, belief, repentance, baptism, and remaining in Christ will allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your life. He will conform you to the likeness of Jesus with the passing years. This is not hard to understand, but it does require surrender. It does require submission to your Creator and your Savior, Jesus. And if you're ready today, I'll tell you, God has made it easy, and we want to make it easy. We want to ask our section hosts to stand right now and move into place. These are folks who are prepared to meet you today. You know, when you stand at the back of this worship center and look down this aisle, it looks a lot like a football field. It's not 100 yards to the front, but it looks like a long way. And so these good people who volunteered to be our section hosts are prepared to meet you, to talk with you about your decision this morning, or you may make your way to the front. We'll have a few of our pastors here at the front, if you're ready to accept Jesus today, or if you're already a Christian, you want to make Crossroads your church home, we invite you to come today. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you the Holy Spirit was our teacher today, ultimately, because of all the scripture that we have digested in these last few minutes. And Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction on the heart of any person who does not yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, has not yet been obedient to him in surrender and submission to his loving lordship. And I pray, Lord, for that person who is here, who is a Christian, but maybe is just insecure. They're really not living with the daily joy of, of their salvation. I pray that would change today. I thank you that our... Our salvation does not hang by a thread. It is secure 
it is as reliable as the promises in your word. And so we praise you and thank you for the truths that brighten our lives and give us confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.